the opportunity of prototyping that you're speaking to can help a lot of those challenges down the line. Um, using prototyping, even just to test the strategy, can be incredibly empowering to all parties. Uh, and I think that's where design is starting to have more and more impact and, and people are starting to take notice that it's not just prototyping at the latter stages of the R&D process where you're trying to resolve either whether that's physical product or, or digital software, you know, challenges and, and you prototype and you test, but you actually do that right from the beginning as you develop even a strategy. And I think what people are learning is that they can save a lot of money by doing that because they, they fail often and early and you don't invest a lot of money and time until you fail. Hi everyone, welcome to Design Drive, where we explore why, how and what design and designers are going forward. The mission is to interview the most forward-thinking designers, innovative creatives on the planet to inspire and help you to reach your full creative potential and to make a positive impact in the world. In this episode, I chat with Philip Steiner, who is in Seattle and made experiences working as a design leader and executive director at companies such as IDEO, where he was working creating positive organizational change for Fortune 500 companies, and Teak, where he has been leading the creative direction as well as the growth of a design team working on advanced aviation projects. Philip's work is inspired by both transportation and industrial design, and we chat about the importance of design visions for large consumer products that are heavy in development investment and also how to grow and motivate design teams and unleash the creativity of each individual, but also how to build trust and relationships with your external project partners to make sure your ideas actually gonna survive the journey all the way into implementation. I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, I'm here with Philip Steiner. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Same here, I'm really excited to be on your podcast. I've uh seen some of them and and i have to say it's a, a great inspiration to see a lot of my colleagues uh speaking with you and, and talking about their daily lives and what they've encountered so i'm happy to be here yeah thank you um so i think what would be really great would be to give the audience a bit more context about your journey you have been working at a lot of different places you have been living in different countries actually now in the US, but actually born in Switzerland, I think it would be really interesting for the owners to understand a little bit better uh, the journey they've been, they've been going through and the different stations basically in your journey. Yes, I'm sure. You know, I've, like you mentioned, I was brought up in, in Switzerland as a son of an immigrant family that came from Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. And um, early on in, in my life, I was very capable in natural sciences. And, you know, I was really good at math and physics and all that stuff. But once I got to sort of college level, I realized that there was an artistic side in me that I was really curious and exploring. And that's how, how I came across design. And um, that's how I came to Art Center as well. At that time, they had a, a school in Montreux in, in the French part of Switzerland uh, that I joined. And I was able to continue my studies in the Pasadena campus in California. And that's how I came to the United States. I studied industrial design, but I was always someone who was curious in other disciplines. So I had a really hard time deciding on a particular major. So I studied product and transportation until 
uh, fairly late in, into my college studies. And I also took a lot of courses in graphic design and motion graphic because that was something that I was interested in. And then once I graduated, I got into the consulting field. I love the Bay Area. So I tried to get some work there and I worked with Design Continuum who had an office there at the time, uh, designing consumer products, eventually moved to Chicago and worked in a small consultancy designing domestic appliances and household goods. And then I landed at Teague and, and that was a really interesting time for myself as well as Teague because Teague had gone through some hardship. And right around the time when I joined, it was basically a, a reboot and an opportunity to rebuild the company. It was a fairly small company at, this, at the time. And the team that I joined was really focused on the consulting arm that was engaging with Fortune 500 companies. And so I became part of a team, a small team. People were always surprised how small we were. Uh, eventually, we, we started to develop sort of a brand recognition again. We, we started to attract better and better clients. I ended up working a lot with Microsoft and their Xbox group, uh, working on peripherals. Then also worked a lot with Hewlett-Packard, helping them develop their desktop PCs and peripherals, as well as their venture into mobile computing. So as time went by, I think people realized that I was somebody who was pretty organized and structured and, and I got more responsibility and started to focus more on leadership, account management, and, and eventually building capabilities and teams within Teague. And that culminated in me moving into Teague's aviation studio, which is a, a business unit that supports Boeing. And I was uh, basically leading first a smaller group of industrial designers and then eventually migrating into a leadership role where I was one of four senior directors overseeing the business and responsible for creative leadership across the entire organization. So at that point, the creative directors that were part of my team were supporting everything from research and development to brand interior design, digital design, research and strategy and everything else. And so that was sort of the, the Teague experience. And, and after that, I had an opportunity to join IDEO. IDEO, I always regarded as, as, as sort of the de facto consultancy when it comes to human-centered design. And I was really excited to learn more about how to engage on a very high level, level with leaders in companies that were looking to connect strategy and business to design. And, and, I, and I got that opportunity and I'm very grateful for that. So that's sort of on a high level, the arc of my career. I'm happy to go into more depth in other areas. Sure. I mean, talking about that you were actually studying product design and transportation design at your at the art center, right? Was that something where you always had the chance throughout your career to balance these two areas, like product design and transportation design, or were you sometimes a little bit more on the transportation design and, you know, How was that? How was that experience for you? Yeah, I think for me, the at the time at least, product design was a capability that I think was more rooted in in sort of critical thinking and problem solving, mm -hmm. and essentially applying a process to solving any type of challenge in, in front of you. Where the some of the automotive and transportation design related uh, curriculum. I thought gave me maybe some of the artistic tools because they were more focused on expression, on form giving, on sketching and techniques to visualize and storytell. So I would say my focus and 
eventually sort of my my talents were probably more rooted in the problem solving and critical thinking side and less sort of in the artistic expression of what a automotive designer might be doing on a daily basis but it did help me as well i think it helped me to understand that category of product so to speak and and later on I kept on sort of bumping against it by coincidence. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's very interesting what you point out that emotional side, basically, with the you know, transportation side, and then the more, let's say, problem solving aspects and the critical thinking on the um, like product design or uh, nowadays, especially with say industrial design, probably. Uh, so I think that's very, very interesting. I think a lot of designers are kind of always want to have the balance of these two areas. Right. I mean, you can see it even with UX UI design when you have UX and UI design. Like, and you know, specifically, and I know a lot of people who either study transportation or product design who actually look exactly for that sweet spot, but actually not too many jobs that offer you the opportunity to actually balance these two because usually you're either industry designer or you're a transportation designer. But like it seems like with your with your roles at Teak and the projects you had, you had the chance to basically use both aspects basically and i think that's uh, quite unique i would say in terms of like the overall design industry yeah you know the the segregation so to speak or the fragmentation of design capabilities or industrial design and, and what it has become it's, it's really interesting i i wonder sometimes really to whose benefit is that because i as a creative individual or a creative leader i don't really see the benefit in in drawing these hard lines between people's skills and backgrounds. And, and you mentioned UX and UI, as well as, you know, service design. There are, there are a lot of people getting uh, upset about uh, definitions and, and perceived territories of, of who does what. Yeah, and, yeah. and I have to say, I, I don't see any benefit in that, uh, particularly as we're headed into a world that's much more integrated and, and sort of bridges all these different worlds, be it physical or digital or, or virtual and, and, and mixed realities and all that, the different disciplines are going to have to work together. And, and I think that's where as an industrial designer, I actually see a great opportunity for people that have that training to think more as generalists and, and help facilitate the process for people that have probably developed deeper specialty in some of these areas that you've mentioned. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the, one of the main topics of the podcast is obviously, you know, uh, it by purpose, it doesn't say, you know, a UX design or industry design, so it's overall design. And I think there's so much leverage you can you can get by tapping into the different areas and understanding it better. So really yeah. having the disciplines uh, like merge together and, you know, I, I know a lot of great, I think, designers who I think especially benefit from that more diverse background instead of a more specific one. And I think there's also the dangerous trend overall in the design community in terms of over-specialization. If you see people who say like, okay, I'm just doing, let's say, UX strategy or you know something very specific you need to be more open otherwise i think you're just going to be less helpful to the project if you can just basically uh, cover t- uh, a two-week uh, period of a, a bigger scope and yeah i think yeah i can just totally agree what you were saying so i think yeah i think th- there's so much benefit by tapping into different different areas and learning more uh, horizontal basically within the um, uh, design disciplines. Yeah. I mean, looking at the, the work that you were doing, I mean, a lot of 
very exciting project also in terms of aviation. Were there any specific mm -hmm. projects uh, that really stood out to you where you had the feeling with, with these projects, you really understood or uncovered for yourself also the positive contributions designers can make for innovation, for the business impact, or just to make an overall difference? Yeah, I think, I mean, there are many, and I think maybe one that I can talk about that I think is particularly relevant when it comes to what you're describing was the development of, of Boeing's latest 777 interior, the 777X, just due to the scale of that program, right? The And, and the, the, the complexities of what it takes to design an experience in aviation. You know, usually when you when you think of uh, service design and you take into account a potential user in in aviation, you have you have to think about three different ones. You, you actually have the passengers or the travelers, so to speak. You have the the crew that facilitates your experience once you're on board, but also before and and after deplaning. And then you have uh, also the service staff and maintenance um, that constantly engages in the product uh, while on the ground or even troubleshoots while in the air. And so when you think of um, the user experience and, and the different touch points and you think of the, the journey, um, you actually have a sort of a trifecta of, of different journeys that are overlapping and interlacing. And so thinking about that and developing interesting solutions or investigating what the state of the art is was very interesting on the 777X. And then starting to develop a point of view about what role technology could play in that context and how the experiences could change and how the service could then be tailored and customized based on the airline customer, because that's, that's a whole nother layer, right? So first you have sort of these different users that occupy a space and then you have the the unique curation that's done by the airline uh, and they want to differentiate themselves so it, it creates a very fertile ground for exploration and to do that well i think uh, at the time we we discovered that we we also have to think long term uh, if this is sort of the next stepping stone and you know the development time for an airplane is easily five to seven years, if not more. So you have to think about the future and it's difficult to think about the future in those horizons, right? Like, especially once you get into a life cycle of a product that's another 10 to 15 years, all of a sudden you're thinking 10 to 20 years out and how do you do that, right? So we realized we had to conceive an advanced concept program, you could call it, and really dive into the future and and start to ask ourselves better questions and we did that by you know talking with with customers but we also did that by reaching out to other industry partners reaching out to schools and sort of put our finger on the pulse of what was going on so we can start to imagine what the future could be and and one of the processes we used at the time it's it's backcasting which is something that's used uh, quite extensively in, in design for sustainability or bigger sort of complex problems where looking at, at the end user or at a particular category won't give you necessarily the answers. Uh, it's up to you to really define what that future could be so you can then retroactively figure out what the current state of the art could be or could look like. So I think it was a very 
interesting project. It, it was a massive team, a lot of different stakeholders, and then a significant impact on Boeing's business because the 777 airplane platform is considered the premium airplane, so to speak, uh, for Boeing and, and had some very reputable customers, you know, some of the premium customers that are very interested in that airplane. So I think uh, it, it was quite successful overall. I think the airplane is now being delivered and, uh, and I think a lot of the ideas that the design team were kicking around at the time, and, and there was a fair amount of pushback, as you can imagine, in an industry that's quite conservative, where the priority, and rightfully so, is, is everyone's safety, right? Every introduction of change in such an environment creates a lot of angst. And so I'm very proud of how the team was actually able to work that through and how much of the good design ideas made it into the final product. Yeah, I think it's super interesting. I mean, sort of the an example that came to my mind. I mean, I mean, not many people know about the design process of actually planes, right? I mean, very often you know about the design for airlines, and that's obviously yeah. a big focus. But like designing the plane is like designing the actual framework where the airlines gonna basically be on top of and start to differentiate. It's a similar to maybe how operating platform on iOS basically, and you would have apps on top that try to create different experiences. So Absolutely. actually it's, it's very interesting because you try to design the platform. And yes. uh, obviously I think the plane is one of the products, one of the, probably the most, maybe besides buildings, uh, the mm -hmm. most consumer facing major product that you can work on that has such a long time to think ahead. I mean, obviously with yeah. cars, you have to think uh, a long ahead, but with planes is another, is another game, right? So, because they take even further to, to develop and to be manufactured, etc. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, when you talk about advanced design within aviation, um, could mm -hmm. you talk about maybe some concrete examples? What is advanced design in aviation? Mm -hmm. What are certain topics that are emerging if you have to look very into the future? What are certain topics yeah. that came up that you really had to consider uh, for the product design or the transportation design or the user experience design? Yes, I think at the at the very core of, of it, you know, you can structure advanced concept programs in many different ways. You can structure it by technology that can drive an experience. You can structure it around uh, particular users, um, the way we thought about it uh, at the time was really uh, through a holistic experience and thinking of it almost in sensorial categories. Uh, so the role of acoustics and what you can do acoustics and how let's say acoustics tie to our perception and how acoustics can drive or change our perception of space, the, how acoustic properties can have an impact on our uh, well-being, the, the correlation between acoustics and physio physiological uh, aspects in our bodies. And you can do that with all sorts of different topics. You can do that with lighting and, and, and we did. And that, that's a very interesting field because it, it actually um, has great opportunities to, to help the traveling public feel better while they're traveling. But there is also other areas that have to do with touch and materials and, and how those drive our perception and innovation around those. Um, as they pertain to new technologies, new advancement in manufacturing, new advancement in, in, in integration. And so, and there are more. And, and as you start to think about sort of 
all these different fields essentially that comprise a holistic experience, you can then start to identify unique projects and within those projects make discoveries. And as you make discoveries in those projects, you can have offshoots for new projects. And so it's kind of like a, a fairly organic, I think, framework that helps you establish areas to study. And then I think what's equally important is to figure out how, where, where, where all that lands, all that innovation, right? Because if you work in a vacuum and then it doesn't reach production or it doesn't reach the engineers or designers that are, are focusing on near-term manufacturing and integration, you know, you, you've not made any impact. And so a lot of the, the important parts of an advanced concept program is the communication and how you involve and engage other entities within an environment. So maybe setting up uh, conferences uh, sort of where you share out findings and, and you can bring stories to life in a very visceral way with experienced prototypes, you know, whether they are physical or digital, it doesn't matter. In fact, sometimes it's quite exciting to have sort of a mixed reality environment where people can explore and, and feel for themselves what it is you're talking about, particularly if it's something that you can't make at the time, maybe. But storytelling is very important. And then as much as possible, right, reach out to other individuals in related organizations that can participate maybe with you. Because as soon as people develop ownership over ideas, the more likely they are then to be advocates for it. And that includes individual contributors as much as it includes leaders in organizations and bringing everyone together. I think that's what really, that's where you demonstrate the value of advanced design within corporate environments, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're touching on a very uh, important topic. And uh, I really like the aspect that you were sharing about the different uh, senses, basically, of humans and, and basically how to structure design process based on that. I had also the chance to you know, work on an aviation project when I was doing an internship at um, DesignWorks in uh, Los Angeles. And I think one thing I learned there was the importance of prototyping, specifically mm -hmm. you design in a 3D space. And you have to really, you know, kind of trying to get an understanding. How does it feel for the person to sit? Like, what about the length of the armrest? Does it feel good? Where do people like put certain things in certain scenarios of the journey? Let's say the, the food comes, like where do you put the stuff, you know, playing out different user scenarios. Something I find very fascinating because you really need a hybrid approach there because purely digital, just with CID, you can't really solve it. So you really need to prototype. And then prototype always opens up the opportunity also to, I would once say validate your design, but on the other side also to bring in stakeholders and really convince them about your ideas. And if we talk about advanced design, I can imagine this aspect of visualization, physical visualization is very important to make sure you push an idea forward because I can imagine, or actually I know <laughs> a big issue obviously for external partners working on any kind of project. For example, now similar to your scenario from a consultancy side, working with a manufacturer, how do you ensure that all the ideas and great innovations that uh, you're going to come up in the process, make it into the, the production, right? And you were touching already on how to secure that and what are important elements. But I think this is a very relevant, for, very relevant topic for a lot of 
designers, I think, also in the audience because, you know, a lot of designers are working from the outside, so-called basically towards mm -hmm. uh, or with a manufacturing partner or some kind of development team who actually has to either do the software engineering later on or do the hardware engineering and actual production. So are there any, besides the aspects you already mentioned, any kind of key learnings for you, how to make sure the innovation that happens within the project kind of survives and kind of moves forward and what are maybe tips and tricks you can share with the audience to make that make sure that happens i think that's a very interesting topic you're bringing up because i you know the the consultant corporation relationship right i i think sometimes there is this 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 perception that a consultant comes in they come up with some ideas and then they leave and then what do you do right and i think the opportunity of prototyping that you're speaking to can help a lot of those challenges down the line. Um, using prototyping, even just to test the strategy, can be incredibly empowering to all parties. Uh, and I think that's where design is starting to have more and more impact and, and people are starting to take notice that it's not just prototyping at the latter stages of the R&D process where you're trying to resolve either whether that's physical product or, or digital software, you know, challenges and, and you prototype and you test, but you actually do that right from the beginning as you develop even a strategy. And I think what people are, are learning is that they can save a lot of money by doing that because they, they fail often and early and you don't invest a lot of money and time until you fail. And if you do that successfully, by the time you know, you, so to speak, hand off the insights to the teams that are then focused on implementing, they already have participated. They already have some kind of a minimum sort of viable product solution in front of them that they can work off of and things don't get lost in translation. And I think that's, that's a huge benefit of prototyping, whether that's digital or physical, or, you know, even some mixed media to make sure that the idea won't get lost and that people can also experience or see for themselves what the benefits are. I think human beings are shockingly reliable on experiencing for themselves. Essentially, we, we don't believe anyone else's stories. So we have to see it for ourselves, ideally. And, and I think that's knowing that is quite empowering. Knowing, knowing that is it also opens the door for manipulation because people can experience something and become strong believers, but maybe there are other solutions that could be better. So you have to be careful how you apply that. But, but I think I would err on the side of, of opening it up to as many people as possible from as many disciplines as possible and, and definitely up and down sort of the food chain within organizations so that leaders can be, become advocates and, and, you know, open additional funds for further exploration. Very important topic you're touching on, that there is obviously that one of the powers of design is obviously visualization, which creates belief and creates basically motivation for everyone working on a project to work towards a goal. But at the same time, if you believe into the wrong thing, or if you use design to manipulate or create belief into futures that actually probably are not in the, in uh, either in the benefit or might, there might be better option because, you know, a prototype can be very convincing and it feels like it's already done, right? But yeah. like actually there's a long process afterwards that's going to come. And you need to make sure that, yeah, whatever you believe in, you, you make sure you, you have enough, enough bandwidth before you settle on anything. And yeah. again, you fail, right? You don't, you don't, you try to break down your, your first idea and see if it really holds up. 
And um, yeah, I think another, I think oftentimes problem with, uh, with the topic that you are describing, if you work from an exercise, that the problem of uh, not invented here syndrome, right? So basically mm -hmm. if you don't bring enough stakeholder into the process, uh, basically the idea might also not survive or not the right stakeholders, let's say. And I think you mentioned conference as an example to bring in multiple people could you touch on maybe the communication piece as well you used with maybe your partners yeah i think sometimes it's really helpful you know particularly if you think of projects with high level of complexity and you know industries that come to mind there are probably well it could be transportation but it could be areas in a medical field you know where you have where there's a lot at stake you have a highly complex environment for the product or service to exist. And you need to develop a pretty good level of understanding and empathy. So you actually understand the benefit of that particular solution. And so staging a, a conference, as I called it, or, or some sort of a, an exhibit, so to speak, where you can set up a story, right? And the story can comprise of documentation, whether that's footage or or maybe interviews or other kind of insights that you've gathered in the research part of your project, right? You can, that, that sort of establish the foundational understanding and then have uh, ideally experienced prototypes to help support what the solution is that you came up with and, and allow participants in that conference or in that gallery for themselves to understand the benefits of your solution. And, and ideally, you know, if, if it's curated well, and if you have experts represented during that time, it can then lead to conversations and to dialogue. And, and sometimes that can be in the form of a formal presentation, if it's a large audience. Sometimes that can be a very fertile one-on-one -on -one conversation between two experts where, where someone might even rightfully so have a critical opinion or discover some shortcoming. And then that can be immediately taken on and sort of fed back into the concept development process. So I think it's, a, it's not just a single-sided, you know, one-way communication. It's a, it actually allows for a two-sided uh, conversation. It allows for dialogue, right? And I think mm -hmm. by that, if you have a dialogue, I think you also have more commitment and um, basically more involvement, which I think also just going to help the, the survival of any great innovation. Talking a little bit about also your roles and your, your journey moving into design leadership, what are the things that you have learned when it comes to growing design teams, when it comes to creating design cultures, when it comes to create cultures of innovation? And how, do you, how did you approach that process of setting up a great design team basically within an organization? You know, it's such an important piece of what we do as designers uh, is really to to figure out how to harvest creativity within any type of organization. The establishing a capability, of course, it starts with people, right? And it starts with understanding the unique backgrounds and the unique compositions of what someone can bring to a team. So, you know, putting together teams, of course, hiring is critical and, and hiring people that not just have a skill that fits sort of the the unique qualification of a job description, but I think also taking into account people's sort of secondary skills and interests. And I know there have been some conversations in the industry and people have very different opinions about, you know, what's work and what should you leave at home and what do you bring to work and all that. But 
from my experience, when people can bring their whole self to work, it can create some magical moments where all of a sudden they can use skills that they have and they uniquely have in combination with other skills that come to light in a particular project situation that, that really almost no one else could handle as good as they, as they did. And so I think allowing people to do that is, is important when you create a team, making sure that they feel comfortable and that they feel empowered to do that. Give them some level of fluidity to leverage their skills, whether or not it, it fits exactly the, you know, sort of the prescribed job description. I've seen a lot of people migrating in their careers very successfully, where all of a sudden they discovered some genius in themselves and they ended up doing something quite different, but it was extremely relevant to that team. So I think building teams and, and creative capacity in my mind has a lot to do with allowing people being themselves and basically encouraging and supporting whatever it is that they're bringing to the table. Of course, then, you know, in the hiring practice, there are sort of the typical assessments of, of, of core technical skills and capabilities and, and be inclusive and develop a hiring team that can look at these aspects through a broader set of eyes. So, so you're not biased. And then I think the industry is working really hard on, on establishing those type of parameters. But I think once the person lands, so to speak, that's where the hard work begins to make them actually successful. Yeah, you, you're touching on a very good topic, the, um, you know, looking at the, the full picture of a person, right? And yeah. uh, really also emphasizing the sort of more secondary aspects, maybe certain soft skills or some kind of interest people bring in and make sure you have yeah. enough diversity and you add to the creativity sort of bandwidth that you have mm -hmm. and not basically too much people of the same kind, basically. I think this is very interesting. I think another another part, you know, in terms of making the, the creative team successful and, and really uh, sort of augmenting what they're producing is to make sure that the efforts within creative teams are collaborative, right? I mean, it sounds like a given, but it's not always that. And I think it's very important to aim at shared ownership of ideas. So, pe so people don't over-identify with an idea. And it's a very delicate balance because on one hand, you want someone to be extremely passionate, right? To the point where they drive themselves and everyone else really, really hard. And, and to your point, if they bring their secondary passions and skills to the table, even more so, they're going to be emotionally invested. So then how do you help them do that, yet not fall in love with what, what they've created? Because if they do, they're not going to be able to throw it away. And they need to throw it away, potentially, a couple of times. And so you have this very interesting tension between passion and over commitment to what you've produced, right? Falling in love with something. So, so yeah, one thing I always try to encourage is shared ownership. Make sure other people feel equally vested in, in something that's being created. And then, you know, sometimes communication can help that. How do you sort of distribute, sort of disseminate ideas and results within an organization so that whatever has been produced is being associated with a group of people and, and not just one individual, maybe that's another way to do it. Yeah, I think very interesting point you're touching on. Uh, and that's really difficult, you know, because I mean, at some point you really, yeah, you also need to detach yourself from the idea, right? 
That's a challenge. You need to detach yourself from idea, but at the same time, you want to be passionate about the idea or you need to be yeah. passionate actually about the idea. Because I mean, if you attach yourself too much, then I think it also, it hurts you when the idea gets taken apart or like fails or something like that. So I think that's why for designers, it's so important to detach themselves. Yeah. I think a very interesting balance. I think it's also a, an opportunity to show that to others, right? If you as a designer can demonstrate how that's done, it could help along a leader to do the same thing because to, you know, you made a point earlier about when, when some leaders latch onto an idea and it's the wrong idea. Well, that's exactly the problem, particularly if they've participated in something and they kind of see resemblance of a solution in their own idea, they fall in love with it. Right. And then they, they don't want to give it up. So it's really important as a designer to realize how you can empower them by showing, by demonstrating how you give up one of your ideas or how you basically are flexible in, in continuing on a different path, even though you've invested yourself uh, in, in a particular solution. I think it's important for designers, but it's equally important for us to demonstrate it to other leaders or other disciplines within organizations. Yeah, it's also a change on the leadership side, like you were saying, right? Because yeah. uh, at the same time, you need to uh, fight for an idea and you need to communicate the value to an idea. You also need to make decisions. So uh, as it is a, as a challenge on the uh, sort of more working uh, level on the designer side, it's also on the leadership side, definitely a, a challenge. Talking about maybe, I mean, you were mentioning harvesting creativity what hacks or ways you have found basically maybe as you're managing you know creative teams to harvest creativity and how can you maybe if you have a team that's running on the certain topic for a longer time like how can you again create creativity and really open up people again and make sure people are not losing their creativity yeah that's that's a great question particularly in environments where people might be working on a project for a very long time. I think it's, and some, and it's very individual, right? Some people really enjoy working on something for a long time and go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and they thrive on that and it energizes them. But then there are a lot of other people that it's not, it, it becomes a grind for them and it's monotonous and they want to do something else. And I think as a leader, it's important to realize those differences and help people maybe even even discover that for themselves, because sometimes people get into a rut and they don't even realize it, that they are in it. Uh, similarly to burnout, right? So I think that's an opportunity for leaders to keep an eye on teams and make sure that there is a light, right level of energy, make sure people have fun, right? That there has, there has to be some level of, of a positive energy and, and sort of a lightheartedness about it. I think there are other sort of uh, mechanisms that help people connect to their work and, and being excited about it. Some of them might be as simple as understanding why they are there and what, why uniquely them, because sometimes you get assigned maybe to a project or, or a particular, you know, internal initiative and, and you don't even know why you're there. And then, you know, people make up stories, right? We all make up stories in our heads and, and they might think, well, I'm just here because I was available or whatever. And, and so it's a great opportunity to actually speak to people's unique talents and help them understand what it is. And, and it actually is very motivating because if someone tells you, Hey, Sebastian, you know, I'm putting you on this project because I think you're really great at this. Well, guess what? You're just going to become even better at that because it, it just fuels you. And so there are all sorts of things like that. Of course, recognition is another one, you know, making sure 
people are recognized ongoingly, whether that's publicly or personally, whatever the right way for that particular individual, I think it's important to give recognition and word also to some extent so that people continue to be motivated as they engage in an, an environment on project. So I think to some extent there are, you know, the culture of innovation and, and sort of helping people be productive and creative is not a simple sort of, you know, box you can tick off. I think it's, it's a whole bunch of things that you need to keep in mind. And I think that's where it helps to have a group of people that engage with a team because sometimes individual dynamics or relationships might tint your perception of how it's going because people will tell you one side of it or are comfortable telling you one aspect of it where when they speak with someone else, they might tell an entirely different story. Uh, so it's it's important to compare notes as well when you when you oversee large teams and programs. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's so interesting what you you talk about. I think we have to wrap it up, unfortunately, <laughs> because of time. But I yeah. you know I think you shared so many great insights on you know how to manage teams, how to leverage and uh, unleash creativity, and also how to drive innovation forward and make sure it, it's not yeah your ideas don't drop off basically as you work with external stakeholder so i think a lot of great insights and and tips for the design community to learn from so philip thank you so much for the time thank you very much for having me and uh, yeah let's stay in touch i i really enjoy your what you're doing and, and i'll i'll keep on following you thank you so much for hosting all right that was the episode thank you so much for tuning in if you enjoyed the episode make sure you give it a thumbs up and let me know in the comments about taking me in a post what were the biggest learnings for you in the episode I'm always super curious about that. If the episode provides you a lot of value, make sure to follow and subscribe and share it with friends or others so they also have the chance to learn and grow themselves. All right, until next time. Cheers.